Good evening, church. We are thankful to God to see you here this evening, both members and visitors alike. We thank you for your attendance and for blessing us. And we're all asking God to bless each and every one of us. Let's go to God in prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, creator and sustainer of all life, the maker of all of us, of things seen and unseen, by the power of your word that you spoke the world into existence, it's by your power that you hold it together. Well, God, we honor you, we worship you, we praise you. We ask for your help in our worship this evening, asking, Lord God, that you will please clear our minds of worldly thoughts and help us to focus and think only, only of you. We ask, Lord God, that you would bring comfort to the hearts of those who have suffered losing and lost ones. Just help us, Lord God, in this moment to give you all the praise, honor, and glory. In Jesus' holy name, we thank thee and pray to be thy will. Amen. God's rhetorical questions. I realized I had never gotten to this portion. You ever been in a home with your parents, thinking back ways, and you were the only one at home it was your mom, your dad, and you were the only child. And you had gotten into the chocolate or something. And your mom asked you a question. She says, who got into this chocolate? That was a rhetorical question. <laughs> the answer was pretty obvious. It was me. God knows exactly the right things to say and the correct questions to ask. And he appeals to man, right? on every single level, intellectually, logically, and emotionally, by asking these rhetorical questions, God then expects the listener, the hearer, to provide the correct answer. And, and, and when God asks the questions, it, it seems like there's only one answer, and it is the correct answer. Those questions cause us to think and discover the divine truth. Matthew 6, please. We'll start there. The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus brings this amazing message, and it goes from Matthew 5 all the way to Matthew chapter 7. And right there in the middle, there are these questions that God asks and these thoughts that he brings up. I just want to look at verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his lifespan? The obvious answer is, no one. Why do we do it? <laughs> if, if the answer is, we cannot, then why do we find ourselves fixated in the world of worry? Can't fix anything, right? Can't add a single cubit to it. Why do we do it? There's only one answer. There's nothing that worrying is going to do or living a life of anxiousness. There's nothing that it's going to do to add a cubit span to our life. It's not going to happen. Verse 26, another one. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, neither do they reap, nor gather in the barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And then comes that question. Are you not worth much more than they? 
The answer is obvious. Of course you are. Where's our esteem? If I'm a child of God, I'm worth something. I might not have been anything yesterday, but today I'm worth something because I'm God's child. And that's enough, right? Verse 25. For this reason, I say to you, do not be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor for your body as to what you shall put on. Is not life more than food and the body than clothing? These are all rhetorical questions. Of course there's more. Or is there? To life then. So God is setting us up in this text about anxiety and saying, I want you to read these, this, this, what I've given you, this, this lesson. And I want you to think about the questions that I'm asking you. There's only one answer to each one of them. You've got to step back and step away from self, if you will, our own lifespan. And think about life from God's perspective. Revelation, please, chapter chapter 2. Revelation 2. Life is more about the spiritual than it is the physical. You see, the physical is short. Right? Short. Seems like a long time. No, it's short. Spiritual is eternal. So why do I put so much emphasis in the physical? And I know the physical is short. Revelation 2 and verse 17. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden manna. And I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone which no one knows but he who receives it. God knows you. God, without a shadow of a doubt, knows exactly who you are. Genesis, please, chapter chapter 32. So he says, look, life is more important than, than uh, you know, than the, the physical, if you will. The spiritual is more important. He says, you can't add a, a single cubit to your lifespan by worrying. Why are you anxious? Don't you realize how important you are? And, and God says, look, I know who you are. I know you by name. And so when I offer to God excuses and say, but Lord, you don't understand. God says, I know you. In 32, Genesis 32, verse 27, Jacob wrestles with with God, and the Bible says in verse 27, so he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. I know who you are. I know who you were. And I know the plan I have as to who you're going to become. Give your life to the spiritual because the physical is passing away. Genesis 38, please. It's just moving on. Maybe it's not moving like like a freight train, at least not until you have children, and then all of a sudden it it really flows by. But the spiritual... 
That, that's the key to life and energy and life. God's beautiful question to us. In Job 38, the verse 4, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. The next time we hear someone saying, you know, I don't know why. I just said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Job asked that same. Job's friends were talking about the same. Listen, God has one question. When I made all this, you weren't even here. Who are you to question me? Right? And so we've got to step back and say, you know, it doesn't matter the, the why, if you will. Just, let's just serve the, let's serve God. Let's just honor God and say God knows what's right. God knows what's best. Let's just live for God. The spiritual is more important than the physical. Matthew 16, please. So then God asked this question with that thought in mind. Well, if the spiritual is more important, more beneficial, if you will, than the physical, Jesus asked a question to each of us in Matthew chapter 16. What will a man give? What will a man give? What will a man give? It's a great question. Verse 26, the Bible says, For what will a man be profited if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? So imagine you're the, you're the richest person on, on the face of the earth. You have it all. Your life is still the same span. Right? I mean, it's still the same span. And then if you own it all, you don't even own a fraction of what God owns. Because God owns all that you own. <laughs> what will a man give in exchange for his soul. What will a man give in exchange? I could ask that question ten more times. And you know, somebody out there is thinking about an answer. Well, you know, there's nothing. There's nothing that we can give in exchange for our soul. So, the spiritual. So, this amazing event, right? Luke 24. This amazing event happened. That it just turned the world upside down. It was just this amazing situation that happened. And that is that Jesus went into that tomb. And in three days, he got up. And he'd been telling them this over and over again. He'd been telling and telling and telling and teaching. And they didn't believe him because no one gets up. Luke 24 and verse 5. Listen to this question. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? <laughs> what a question. What, what are you doing? Why did you even come here? You knew. He told you. He's not going to be here. 
There's something about that great resurrection. There's something about that, that resurrection that changes everything in my mind. Hebrews chapter 13. It changes everything in my mind. So think about now for a moment, being in the days of persecution and struggle, and in those days, and Jesus got up, there's the resurrection, and when you read Hebrews 13, and verse 6 it says, so that we may confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid, what shall man do to me? Answer, kill me. God's answer, nothing. What? But if he, nothing. Because the spiritual is of much more value than the physical. You're going to die anyway. <laughs> they may send you home early, but they have done nothing to alter the plan of God. Romans 6. And so that resurrection then causes us to change our mind, to transform our minds to righteousness and living the way that God would have us to live and doing the things that God would have us to do. And the question in verse, verse 1, what shall we say then? Here's all this grace that God has for us, but what shall we say then? Are we to take advantage of God's grace? No. Right? Absolutely not. What shall we say then? Shall, are we to continue in sin that grace might Increase, And the answer is, absolutely not. So Jesus says, you live for me. You serve me. You honor me. And the question is, what, what can man really, what can man do to you? Well, uh, Lord, I, uh, I think you've heard this before. Lord, I don't want to lose my friend. What? Wait. Rewind for a minute. Jesus got up. <laughs> your, your what? Priorities of life. What shall man do to me? Well, I don't want to be persecuted. Jesus got up. Well, I'm afraid of the Romans. Don't worry about it. Jesus got up. And you're going to get up too. And so when Paul writes in Romans chapter 8 to encourage the men with the blood of Jesus... If God is for us, Hebrews 13, 6, if God is for us, what can man do to us? What can man do to us? Who can be against us when we stand before God? No one. No one. Now, it's kind of interesting in Hebrews 13 with this idea and this thought. It's, you know, come to God with boldness. Well, that's a tall order. God says, I need you to come to me with boldness, not because of you, but because of who I am. In Romans 8 and verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Here's where God wants us to step outside of our own small, tiny brains. Step aside from them. So we get into the flesh and you ask that same question. God is for us. Who is against us? And then you start writing your checklist. Uh, Nero, um, Herod. I mean, you just start going down the list. 
my next door neighbor. You know, you're looking at this in the wrong way. Because you see, when Nero, Herod, and those who stand opposed to God stand with us in the judgment, they'll be standing before God. And God will free His children and condemn all else. Here's the point. There is no one who can stand against us if we're with Jesus. No one. 33 says, who, this is important, who will bring a charge against God's elect? Satan, right? No, not even Satan. No one can bring a charge against God's elect because God is the one who justifies us. And we need it. But He justifies His children. Yes, I'm guilty of sin. Yes, I've messed up a time or two. But God has justified me and you and reckoned it unto me where I needed the help because I didn't quite measure up where I was supposed to. But then God comes in and God reckons it unto me. Righteousness. When, when someone says, but you're not perfect, I know that I'm not perfect. It's God who reckons it unto me. Well, you're not the man that I know I'm not, but it's God who reckons it unto me. Who gives me grace and mercy and helps me to be the man that he wants me to be. Who will bring a charge or an accusation against God's people, against God's elect. God is the one who justifies. So where should I be focusing my energy? In the flesh, where God is not? Um, when I say that, I mean, I get it. I know God is there. I'm talking about the eternal judgment. Or in the spirit, in the soul, where God is. The flesh profits nothing, Jesus said. Nothing. Why am I so focused on the flesh and not so focused on the spiritual? Verse 35 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? The Romans. You know, that great tribulation. That great tribulation of our brothers and our sisters you talk about death on a mass scale. Just horrible wickedness and evil. No. Not the Romans. Shall tribulation... How about distress? I'm running for my life. No. That won't separate. Persecution. Or famine or nakedness, or pearl, or so. How about money? I'm not rich enough. My house isn't big enough. I don't have the social status everyone else has. I feel a little awkward in this world. I mean, what is going to separate us from God's love, from our relationship that we're... Don't you recognize that when we come to worship, God is thankful that we would sacrifice... It is a sacrifice. Our lives 
Not living as the world lives, but to live for Jesus. That we're willing to sacrifice to live for Jesus. If there were a window on this wall, what would we see outside? Cars, cars, just only thinking about themselves. But no, we're here in this building thinking about Jesus, saying, thank you, God, for what you've done for me. And God says, realize and understand and know that nothing is going to separate you from my love. Stay with me until the end. It goes on to say in verse 36, Just as it is written, for thy sake we are being put to death all day long, we who are considered to be sheep, or as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Isn't it interesting? In one verse he says, no, 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 you're being slaughtered. On the other hand he says, you're winning. Well, it doesn't look like it, does it? Oh, church, we've won this. Right? On one hand, we're being slaughtered. No, we're not. We're going home early. And we're victorious when we go home. Because God is there waiting for us. He goes on to say, But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. For I am convinced. And how important is that? I am convinced. I'm going to sidetrack this for a second. Not in the slide. Hang on right there. Stay right there, Tracy. I am convinced. Romans, I'm going back to Romans, chapter 1, verse 14. I am under obligation both to the Greeks and the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. For thus, on my part, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of of its power of God for salvation everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You've got to be convinced and you've got to be converted and you've got to be convicted. And Paul says, I am convinced. You can't change my mind. And when he stood before uh, all of the the people to be, the powers to be, he stood there boldly. And he preached and he proclaimed and he preached and he proclaimed the message of God and they couldn't sway him. They gave him favor. They said, Paul, look, we'll give you your own rented quarters. Look, you've got to cut this out. Paul says, no, I'm going to keep preaching. And he continued to preach and preach and preach. And finally, at the end of the book of Acts, you find that they executed our beloved brother Paul. But not without him saying the words that he needed to say. And that is, I am convinced that I'm all right. He says, for I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing. The answer is nothing. The question is, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? When you leave here tonight and you go on your journey of life through the next couple of days, will your focus be on I can't wait to get back. Can't wait to get back. Be with the brethren to say thank you to God, to hear his word. I can't wait to get back. Or do you just have so much to do this week that you're going to allow those things to take your mind off of the God who loves us and off of the God who promises not to separate us and off of the God, the only God who can save us.
the lesson is yours tonight. I, I trust and pray that, that tonight something is said just to encourage you. Stay true to God. Stay faithful to God. All the way to the end. It's all that matters. Nothing else. Nothing else really matters. If you're not a child of God, we invite you to surrender to God in the waters of baptism. Uh, if you are a child of God and you have prayers on your heart, on your mind, and you would like us to pray for you and pray with you, please make it known while together we stand and sing our song of invitation.